Hello, everybody. This is your host, Sophia Nelson, and welcome to the One America podcast. We're excited to be back from a summer hiatus, and we have a new redesign, which I hope you all like. This podcast is now one of Apple's top podcasts, as well as on Spotify, so thank you for what you do. I appreciate you. I have a special guest today. I'm recording actually from Christopher Newport University in the Commonwealth of Virginia, where I am an adjunct professor. And I have with me the dean of my college, the College of Arts and Humanities. And Dean Underwood is an amazing woman and she does a great job for us, but she's also super smart about all things politics and history and our constitution and all the things that make America work and work well as a democracy. And of course, in these times, I wanted to get her opinion and her way in about some of the fights we're having, some of the divisions. Are they real? Are they perceived? Um, Talking about things like critical race theory, uh, which here in the Commonwealth of Virginia is a hot topic in Loudoun County where I live. So I want to get her on, ask a few questions of her and let her talk to us from a political scientist, political philosopher point of view. That might be a new term to you, but she is a philosopher by trade. Um, And uh, Dean, it's great to have you. Welcome to the One America podcast. Thanks, Sophia. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's get started. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about where you see America right now. We're 245 years in as of this July 4th. Uh, Divisions, um, people don't want to wear masks. People are upset about teaching history, full history. Give me a sense and give us a sense of where we are as a nation and, and what's going on. So I think we're in a period of tremendous change. Certainly we are in a period we all know of great political division, but I think what drives a lot of the issues about masks, about educational policy, it comes from a place of fear. If you look at demographics, you'll see going back a couple of years at the birth rate, we're becoming a majority minority country. And that drives fear. I think people ask themselves, as we change as a nation, as we become a majority minority nation, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my place in society, for my culture, for my traditions? And I think that there are people that react to it with fear and with anger and with irrational reactions to policy. You know, that's a good point. We were talking, as you know, with your husband last night, and I'm going to throw him under the bus here a little bit in a good way. Um, And he said something to me that really made me think he was talking about, you know, he listens to the podcast and he actually doesn't believe we're that divided. He actually does. He believes that those divisions, they're real, but that the reality is one of our main political parties, my former party, the Republican Party, and yes, Republicans buckle up that follow me, you can handle it because it's true. Um, that it's deeper than that. It's not just that we're divided and that we don't agree, that there is a shift that we've probably never seen before in American politics and American history around what we believe. Like January 6, 2021, there was an insurrection at the Capitol. Now look, for those of you that don't understand what an insurrection is, the Insurrection Act is post-1887, is post-Reconstruction period. And we... I want, I want to kind of define what that is for you a little bit. And I'm going to have Lori weigh in, but an insurrection is different than a protest. It's different than um, a tourist event that some people want to convince you happened. These were armed people with a plan and they stormed the U.S. Capitol 
unmasked with an agenda. And that agenda, just watch video yourself. Go on YouTube. You guys know how to do this. You know how to Google things on your phone. And look at the videos where they were looking for the votes, the electoral votes. They were looking for papers. And they expressly state they were looking for Nancy Pelosi. Folks, they set up a gallows to hang the then vice president of the United States of America, Mike Pence. That's not made up. That's not an opinion that happened. And so an insurrection is when you are trying to undo, overturn, uh, delete the actions of the sitting government. Um, and they wanted the electoral college votes not to be counted. They believed that Donald Trump won the presidency. He did not. And they stormed the Capitol. Uh, we can argue about why they did it, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But that's what happened. So, Lori, uh, to your husband's point, and I really want to get into this because I think a lot of Americans, frankly, who are in the middle, you've got the fringe left, progressives, far left. you got the far right, conservatives, right? They're the fringes. About 25 to 30 percent on each of those sides leaves about 40 percent to 50 percent of us in the middle who don't agree with either of them. And we're in the middle going, what is wrong? Can you speak a little bit to this notion of are we really divided or is something else going on with us? I think what's happening has a lot to do with the way we communicate now. It has a lot to do with social media. I think that you've always had people out on the far fringes, but because we have the ability for those on the fringes to communicate more effectively now, they're yeah. able to turn an insane idea into a movement. Yeah. And it becomes legitimate. It become it, it gets the appearance of legitimacy. Right. So in political philosophy, legitimacy has a long heritage. It, it has to meet certain criteria, but it gets the appearance of legitimacy. And that's what becomes frightening. And I think what you see now that you didn't see for a long time is insane ideas and theories baby eating yeah you know pizza parlors underground where children are being trafficked uh and that hillary clinton is the leader of the cabal along with joe biden that john f kennedy jr is really not dead that he's the leader of q that actually mike pence is john f kennedy folks listen if you're listening to us right now you got two really smart ladies on here uh and we couldn't be more different in our politics and the way we view the world. I'm a big Jefferson fan, her not so much. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and yet we're very good friends. Uh, we do amazing things here at Christopher Newport. We're humbled to do it. We love working with our young people. And our job as educators is to make sure that they know the facts, not, not something you or I might feel or something we may want to be facts, but the facts. Let's talk about facts a little bit, Lori, history. There's a big fight right now in this country among the many that we're having that America really began in 1776 and not 1619. Now, obviously, we became a country in 1776 when we declared our independence. There's no dispute about that. That's a fact. However, there's a whole history of particularly here in Virginia, which is where America starts as a colony in 1607. There's a whole history that happens in America from 1607 to 1776, right? Can you talk a little bit about why it's important for us, A, to know our history before we became America as colonies, and two, why it's really important that we teach all of history, whether it's ugly, impolite, doesn't make people look good, et cetera, um, 
why is that important that we teach the fullness of our history and that we know what happened before 1776? Who we were as colonies shaped who America became as a nation. Who we were as individual colonies, those competitions, those diversities of thought. It was critical in terms of what went into the Constitution, the compromises, um, who was left out, who was included. Those discussions were rich and deep. And so understanding 1607 to 1776 is essential to understanding what being an American means. Mm -hmm. And in terms of teaching the full breadth of history, warts and all do that as well. Mm -hmm. And our students should be taught a full and true history. Age appropriate. Mm -hmm. You're not going to teach the history the same way in a second grade classroom that you do in a junior or high school classroom or a high school classroom. You know, you said something important that I think I want to talk about for a moment. And I think this is a good point for our listeners uh, because we actually have, I have probably about 55% males that listen to this podcast and 45% female, which I think is interesting. And a majority of my listeners are white males. And that's probably because of my background and as a Republican and as what I like to call an enlightened conservative. Certainly, I'm a woman and a woman of color. So certainly, I'm going to have different nuances and beliefs uh, to my core conservative beliefs because of the life experience that I have every day as a woman and as a person of color in this country. But you said something key that made me think about Abigail Adams. We were talking about her a little bit and what she said to her husband, John, and I'll let you work that into your answer. But... Uh, when this country was being founded and when the Constitutional, uh, rather, when the Continental Congress was meeting to discuss, you know, whether they were going to break away and they were having these discussions. And you said something, you said, you know, there were people who was included who wasn't. Women and black people were not included at all in the thought process or the discussion of America as it was founded. Talk about that. And tell us first what Abigail Adams said to her husband when he was leaving uh, to go and form this new nation. So Abigail and John Adams had an immensely close and deeply intellectual relationship. She advised him often and he Mm -hmm. valued that advice. Mm -hmm. And as he was leaving for the Continental Congress, she wrote him this amazing letter that we know today as the Don't Forget the Ladies. Mm -hmm. Because she knew how valuable the feminine perspective is, mm-hmm. um, and what an immense intellectual contribution she had given, that Eliza Hamilton had given, mm-hmm. and how deeply women had influenced the birth of this nation. Mm-hmm. And she thought it very important that when our documents were being developed, that women be included in the foundation of the Constitution. You know, um, If you folks have not watched HBO's John Adams six-part, watch it. Watch it with your kids, probably over the age of 10, I would think, um, age appropriate. But what a fantastic movie based on John McCullough's books about him. Um, And there's a scene where Adams says to Abigail, played by Laura Linney, who I love. She was fabulous, and so was uh, Paul Giamatti playing. They were both fabulous. They both won Emmys. But he says, well, politics is not for the sensibilities of the feminine mind. And she says, John, very sternly, am I not 
uh, involved in politics when I can't find coffee in the cupboard or when I we can't put food on the table. Or, and she begins to break down the things that mothers and wives of her time have to deal with as he's leaving out the door to go to this new Congress that they formed. She's going to be left on the farm with her four small children. She's got a gun. She's got to she's got to dig in the dirt. She's got to feed the pig. She's got to do all the work. But yet she's being told she can't participate or have a say so in the destiny of this new nation. that's being formed. Uh, Lori, uh, speak to that a little bit. Again, fast forward to 2021. We have a woman vice president. We have a woman speaker of the House. And I know a lot of people said to me, well, Sophia, what else do you want? You guys, I mean, women are equal now. What's the problem? Why are we still talking about this? We've had a black president. Why are we digging up this old history? And why are we dredging up the bad parts of who we are? Why not just focus on the good? What do you say to those folks who say that? Let's look at the way we treat our female representatives. Let's look at the way we treat our black representatives. We constantly in the press see them criticized for their appearance. Tan suit gate. Yeah, Mitch I mean, McConnell had it on a tan suit, by the way, the other day, and I lost at, it. <laughs> look at the absurdity of it. Yeah. We worry about them speaking too assertively. Mm -hmm. We uh, want them to constantly go back where they came from. Mm -hmm. And the rhetoric. Uh, if you'll notice, female politicians are always referred to by their first name. Yeah, you're talking about when, uh, particularly when President Trump uh, was picking on the the uh, AOC and Ayanna Presley and that group, the squad, telling them they need to go back. They all were born in the United States of America, with the exception of Ilhan Omar, who was not, but became a citizen when she was in high school. Mm -hmm. And the fact that an American president would tell four duly elected female members of Congress of color that they need to go back, go back where? That's the kind of foolishness that they say. And of course, this summer, we heard the testimony of the four officers uh, in the January 6th riot. Uh, Officer Dunn's testimony about being called the N-word and, and the filth of it and the way it was used, the racial epithets. Uh, Simone Biles in the Olympics uh, dropped out for mental health reasons, was attacked viciously by people like Piers Morgan and Charlie Kirk calling her a sociopath. Again, there are those stereotypes. Can you speak to why or how history and stereotypes intersect and why it's so important, again, that critical race theory has come under assault, right? A, can you tell us what critical race theory is? And B, I assure you folks, it's not being taught to first graders or third graders. It's a college level or postgraduate level course. I've had it, so is Lori. Lori's taught it. But tell us what critical race theory is, and then I want you to talk a bit about going back again to why it's so important that we have the fullness of our history uh, and dealing with stereotypes and how they still pervade today, even if you're vice president, even if you're speaker of the house. Speak to that if you can. Sure. So the debate we're having in the public forum right now about critical race theory is both absurd and insidious. Mm. Um, it's absurd because, as you said, critical race theory is something that's taught primarily in graduate schools. Mm -hmm. It's a meta theory. It's a theory that explains other theories. Uh, and you can sometimes get into it in, at the senior undergraduate level, but it's nothing that- It's complex. It's very complex. It's nothing that you would ever Break it see. down so that the sure. base third grade educated person can understand it. Absolutely. So the first thing critical race theory says is that race is, race is a social construct. Okay. It's not something that occurs in nature. What's that mean? Break that down further. Absolutely. So- um, 
everyone has an ethnicity. Everyone was born from people that came before them. And there are ethnicities like there are people that were born on the Italian peninsula. There were people that were born on the African continent mm-hmm. and they have descendants. That, that, that's ethnicity. Got it. Um, so my heritage comes from Gaelic people and Cherokee people, mm-hmm. uh, Iroquois people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an ethnicity. Mm-hmm. You have an ethnicity. Mm-hmm. But race is, is something we made up. Interesting. Put a pin in that. That's an Oprah aha moment, folks. She said something profound. You know when you you, you get a form, you have to fill out and ask you what your ethnicity is, and there are a number of boxes there. Um, she just explained to you what ethnicity is. Race is something we made up when we called people black or white, or or we called them. Uh, we're definitely born male and female. Those are immutable characteristics, right? So you're you're saying that there's something that we've constructed around this, how we define people, black or white or whatever. Right. So that's something we made up. Something we made up. So let's take you and I for an example. Mm-hmm. Um, your skin tone and my skin tone are much closer than you share with many people descended from the African right. continent. Then. I share with people descended from the European continent. Because we're both continent. mixed race. Because we're both mixed race. Right. Um, but you're called black and I'm called white. Yep. It's it's really kind of crazy because they're... Which doesn't accurately describe either of our heritage lines at all. No. <laughs> because they're categories that were made up. So the second point of critical race theory is the centrality of racism. Okay. These categories... What's racism, Lori? Because I think... We way overuse that word. We do. You're a racist. You're. I don't think people have a clue what that right. really means. The idea of racism is that the the categories of race were made up for a purpose, and that purpose is to elevate one race and to subjugate others. Y'all hear that? Very simple. Go ahead, keep going. And it's race is central to every institution that we build and every policy that we make. Why? It's not the idea that all white people are racists. That's too simplistic. They aren't, by and the they way. They aren't. Right. They absolutely, let me say that again. I don't believe, and critical race theory does not teach that white people are racist. Thank you. It's far deeper and it's more It's teaching prob- about the construct, like you said, of race, one. And then there's this ism added to it, right? When you think of sexism, everybody gets that. When you're a sexist, you are someone who makes either comments or denigrates women, or you don't think women are smart enough or shouldn't be elevated. Uh, this is a man's world, that old saying, right? It's the same with race, right? You are basically saying that uh, black people don't belong at this country club because they're black, which as we just talked about, isn't really even a thing because no one is black or white or red or yellow. They're right. of some type of ethnic background. But go ahead, continue on with critical race theory and, and this whole construct that we're dealing sure. with right now. And so what critical race theory does is it tries to look at how race has been built into institutions. And when you're teaching in America, it's in America. And how it has a destructive effect on those American institutions and on the people who so suffer as a result. So let's put a pin in that. Let's stop. Because on this show, I like you to walk away with stuff. Because we have someone fabulous on today, and I want you to hear what she's saying. So when we talk about systemic racism, which you have a whole lot of white males running around who, by the way, never experienced systemic racism and don't even know what it is and don't have to fear like I do when I'm stopped by a police officer, as any African-American is, we love the police, we support the police, but the reality is the reality 
And I got the talk as a girl, just as my brother got it as a boy, that if you're ever stopped, hands at 10 and 2, yes, sir, no, sir, respectful, ask for permission to get your license, don't ever mouth off, even if the officer starts saying crazy stuff to you, keep your eyes, don't look at him. I mean, it's stressful. You you can literally feel your body go into stress mode. And, and talk a little bit about, um, folks, hear what she's saying, though, before I let her finish, is that systemic racism is baked in and it goes back to the founding fathers. It's not that the founding fathers were racist. The founding fathers were men of their time. White men of wealth and privilege ran the world. Correct, Lori? Correct. White men of wealth and privilege, particularly in the colonies and as we moved into becoming a nation, owned slaves. 11 of our first 13 presidents owned slaves. Deal with that one. So the point is, is that there are constructs, Lori and I talked about this, when this country was founded, all white men of education, of privilege, and of status, is that fair? Yes. Whether they were merchants, tavern owners like Sam Adams, whether they were lawyers and barristers like John Adams, whether they were uh, generals or at that time colonels in the army like George Washington, whatever they were, at the end of the day, they were the privileged set of their day, folks. And you cannot miss that because as Abigail Adams rightly said to her husband, John, when she was talking about, hey, don't forget that women make up, you know, a large part of this population here. And, uh, you know, we take care of things and we are um, in a position where we have issues, too, that need to be heard. And so I think it's really important as we uh, have this dialogue, and we've got about eight minutes left. Uh, Lori had to step away for a moment, so I'm going to carry the conversation until she can come right back. But I think it's really important that we understand what she said because it's so profound. And I think the point that we're both trying to make to you is that um, you have to do your own research. You have to read. You have to learn. Stop listening to Facebook. Stop listening to certain news networks. I don't care if it's MSNBC, CNN, or Fox. You have got to... Uh, democracy is something that you got to work hard at and you have to be assertive in your knowledge. So Lori's back with us and Lori, let me let you just pick up uh, where I was carrying the conversation about, again, the notions of this construct of systemic racism and how it starts. How do we get through it? We've got about seven minutes left. How do we, where do we go? Where do we need to go given what the mess we're in right now? So two things. One, it's absolutely essential that when we're developmentally ready in the education system in college for students who want to in graduate school to study systemic racism, to study critical race theory and understand how we got to this place, mm -hmm. how systemic racism operates. And only by acknowledging that something is wrong, do you start the path to making it right? Wouldn't you say too, we talked about this in some of our meetings that we had on campus yesterday, about the critical importance though of people, everybody in this country understanding how the country was even formed. Like most people have no clue what a republic is. Most people, you get what I'm saying? How important is that as we're in this moment? And that's the second piece is looking at primary and secondary education, having accurate, developmentally appropriate yes. history, yeah. having civic education that teaches the truth about the founding of the Republic. Mm -hmm. Again, in a developmentally appropriate way. It's 
not patriotic to lie. As Adam said, Amen. you know, the, the truth is, is a, is a, solid hard thing right yes. stubborn yeah. it's a stubborn things are stubborn things yeah uh, and you know in our last five minutes here as we wrap down um and we're gonna have you back again and again and again um as you know we lead into this fall and we know that uh, virginia has a governor's race and i'm going to be intrigued to see how that turns out uh, the republicans are in a pretty long losing streak here and i suspect it will continue uh, for a number of reasons that we can get into in another podcast. But, you know, kids are coming back to campus. Uh, the country's in a very hot bed, emotional place around wearing masks, not wearing masks, having vaccines, not having vaccines. And I think I want to give you the last word on, again, as a philosopher, is America going to be okay? Are we going to come out of this? Um, or are we in a place we've probably not been before? Are we pre-Civil War footing? Are we worse than the Civil War footing? I mean, I'm kind of concerned. So I want to know how you see it. I have the blessing to work with the next generation of Americans every day. And so I am very optimistic. I do think we're going to be okay. Uh the voters coming up next, the members of Congress coming up next. Um, they're informed, they care, uh, they are passionate about making a positive difference in the world. And so I think America is going to be okay because those who are going to be taking over for us are going to make it so. You know, the one thing um, I love about this generation of millennials and beyond Gen YZ, they got granola generation, they got a bunch of names. You and I are both Gen Xers. I call us the, the, the bum generation because we're stuck between our greatest generation grandparents and our baby boomer parents. And then came us, we were the latchkey kids. We kind of, uh, the generation of parents, most divorced. A lot of us are children of divorce and had all kind of stuff going on. We're kind of like, I call us also the Oprah generation because Oprah was starting when we were about to hit college or so. Um, but these kids embrace diversity in a true way. They really don't see color. They don't see gender. They don't care about your sexuality or not. I think that's a good thing. So as we wrap it down, Lori, uh, what's the last word here in terms of, uh, again, how do we come back together in e pluribus unum out of many one? I think that when you see something and it seems unbelievable, take note of that. It probably, <laughs> it probably is. We were all gifted with brains and we need to start using them. Think for yourself, people. So you would say the biggest fight I think we might agree on this is the misinformation that we see. Absolutely. It's absolutely dangerous. You think it is very dangerous and we need to stop saying, Oh, that's a great story. And it's, it, it helps my team. So I'm going to forward it. No, mm. if, if it seems crazy, then don't push that forward button. You do a little bit of research and we need to stop contributing. It's not team first. It's America first country over party. As I like to say, listen, folks, um, this was too brief of a conversation with Lori. A half hour flies by real fast, but I promise we will get her back because there's so many things I want to talk about with her. And we're going to have some great stuff we're going to talk to you about in the spring of 2022 for sure. But thank you for tuning in today, Lori. Thank you for being a guest. I promise we're going to have you back on so we can dig deeper. Um, when, when I'm recording in the studio like this, I only have 30 minutes when we do it. Mobile, I can have you on as long as I want. So we'll do that the next time. But thank you again, folks. Make sure you uh, 
especially those who are considering colleges and starting to look at colleges here in the Commonwealth or wherever you're listening to me around the world, consider Christopher Newport University, cnu.edu. Uh, go to our website. Uh, Dean Underwood's always available. So am I to answer any questions. We're doing fabulous things here in Virginia, which is the birthplace of our nation. And uh, I'm really excited about the future. So thank you, Lori. Thanks, Sophia.